from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please turn in your pew Bibles to Genesis 1, verses 24 through 27, which is found on page 1 in the Old Testament. Listen to the word of God. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our word from God continues in the Old Testament. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page 248. Listen again for the word of God. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. So fill your horn with oil and set out. I, have, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass one before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. seated. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your ancient word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in case you missed it, last week we launched into a new sermon series called Telling a Different Story. We talked a little bit about the fact that there are many prevailing and dominant stories being told in and by our secular culture. We elevated four of those stories at the get-go. You are what you own. Image is everything. There is not enough and you should be afraid. In this sermon series, Telling a Different Story, we'd like to engage these dominant, prevailing cultural narratives with a good news story. With a good news story called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To engage these four stories, you are what you own, image 
is everything, there is not enough, and you should be afraid with a different narrative that will subvert those dominant cultural narratives. Last week we talked about you are what you own. This week we'll hone in on the story of image is everything. Image is everything. When I was a teenager in the early 1990s, a commercial starring the famous tennis star Andre Agassi popularized this particular phrase. Some of you remember it. As a spokesman for the Canon uh, photograph uh, or, or camera manufacturing company, Agassi was, was featured in this 30-second uh, spot. He was featured in various uh, model-like poses. He was featured in live action, usually playing tennis or doing something athletic or something daring or challenging. And whether dressed in his tennis gear or in a Miami Vice-style suit, whether he was driving a jeep down the road with the wind blowing his long locks of hair back beyond his shoulders, for us watching this, especially as a, as a teenage boy, Andre Agassi was the epitome of cool. He was the epitome of success. He was the epitome of the athletic. And the commercial ends, you remember this, if you... If, you, if you've seen this commercial in, in real time growing up or, or you remember it from years ago, he, he, the commercial ends with him taking off sunglasses off of his face. He looks directly into the camera and says, image is everything. Image is everything. One of the things I remember about that commercial, probably no surprise to you, was the way it focused on his hair. <laughs> you may remember his hair, how long it was dangling down to his shoulders. The commercial had him hitting a tennis ball in slow motion. It must have had a jet-propelled fan pushing against his hair so it would flow as he was coming through in slow motion with his forehand. They'd show pictures of him and spots of him running his hand through that lion mane of hair. And it was no wonder they, they would focus on Agassiz's hair. After all, that was a signature trademark of the tennis star. It was part of his image. It was part of the picture that he wanted to show and what the commercial wanted to show. Ironically, almost 20 years after Canon's Images Everything campaign, and what a successful campaign it was that this preacher so many years later is still referencing it. Agassiz revealed 20 years after the shooting of that commercial that his long flowing hair was actually a wig. He had long hair once, but as he wrote in his autobiography, every morning I would get up and find another piece of my identity on the pillow, in the sink, down the drain. Those words really resonate with me. <laughs> so he started wearing a wig to cover up his impending baldness. Well, in 1990, on the eve of the French Open final, 
He was in the shower. He could, do, he could shower. He could wash with a special rinse. He could wash that hair. He got in the shower and made a mistake. He, he didn't use the proper rinse. And the wig started to deteriorate. It started to fall apart. He got out of the shower. He quickly called to his brother, told him to come and to help him. He went downstairs to the hotel lobby, got 20 hair clips, and they started pinning it up to the hat underneath so you couldn't uh, see it. Agassiz asked his brother, do you think it will hold? He said, yes, as long as you don't move for the rest of the day, you'll be fine. (laughs) Agassiz said he prayed during the warm-up, not for a victory, but that my hairpiece would not fall off. With each leap, I imagined it falling onto the court. Imagine millions of spectators as they move closer to their TV sets, their eyes widening, and in dozens of dialects and languages, asking how Andre Agassi's hair could have possibly fallen off his head. Agassi lost the match. In time, his then-wife, Brooke Shields, suggested that he shave his head, For all the men who do shave their head, you know there's that one person who gently suggests that you shave your head. Agassiz wrote this about that experience. She said I should shave my head. It was like suggesting I would have all my teeth out. Nevertheless, I thought about it for a few days, about the agonies it caused me, the hypocrisy and lies After he shaved, he said, a stranger stood before me in the mirror and smiled. My wig was like a chain and the ridiculously long strands in three colors like an iron ball which hung on it. Little did we know back then how true to life the commercial was. For Andre Agassi, image was everything and maintaining that image was of ultimate importance But I don't want us to miss the poignant truth that goes beyond the the silliness maybe of him wearing a wig. The truth at the heart of his words, the stranger as he called himself, was actually his true self. The stranger was his true self and the image he promoted and the image he maintained was actually the fraud, was actually the fake What is more, he is articulate about what a burden it was to maintain that image. Describing it like a chain, like an iron ball, a prison whose bars were constructed by an inauthentic persona. And an image is everything story. Where we have learned to portray a carefully constructed appearance to the world. The true self indeed becomes a stranger, unknown to anyone, except ourselves. What is more, it becomes impossible to keep up. It becomes a burden, in fact, the constant betrayal of ourselves as something that we are not. And yet we still do it, don't we? We, we have to ask the question, why is it that we still do this? To paraphrase the great author Brennan Manning, we continue to put forward an imposter to the world instead of our true selves. 
If we were to have a conversation or, or have a dialogue about this in our own life and begin to ask what are the reasons why we still promote this imposter, there would be many, I'm sure. For some of us, we are motivated by fear. And that, that fear story most likely was, was written in the early days of our childhood, in the days of our coming of age. A story of fear that we're afraid of rejection or that we're afraid that we will be exposed as incompetent or as inadequate or as unworthy or as a fraud or worse still, as simply unlovable. For others, it's a way, this imposter way of life is a way to compensate for feelings of emptiness or loneliness or a sense that life has no deeper meaning than that which is lived on the surface. For still more, it's a way to avoid either the trauma or heartbreak of life that we so desperately need healing for or, or to avoid our true call, our true chosenness, our true election, the true love of God to be the person God has called us to be or to do what God has called us to do. Now, unless we think that the image is everything narrative is exclusively a contemporary one or that it found its genesis in a TV commercial in 1990 with Andre Agassi, we just simply have to open up the scriptures. We go to a text like 1 Samuel 16 and we realize that this image is everything is not a, a modern problem, it's not a modern challenge, it's a human challenge. It's a human problem. First Samuel is reflecting on a time when King Saul, who was the first monarch of Israel, a time when he had fallen out of favor with the Lord. And Samuel had been called to anoint, by God's imperative, by God's decree, the next king of Israel, Saul's successor. The prophet Samuel here is sort of like a one-man electoral college, right? He is sent as a kingmaker, and he's sent to the city of Bethlehem under the pretense that he has come to conduct a worship service, to conduct a sacrifice, and that he should invite Jesse, who lives in that town, to come and be a part of that sacrifice, he and his sons. And so Jesse has eight sons, and, and, and he parades each and every one of them before the prophet Samuel. And 1 Samuel 16.6 says this, When they came, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see his mortal see. They, they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesse then brings six more of his sons before Samuel, but not one is the Lord's anointed. The prophet then asks Jesse, are all your sons here? And you can almost hear Jesse's awkward and doubtful tone, can't you? As he says, well, there remains yet the youngest, but he's just keeping sheep. This boy, of course, is, is David. David is sent for, he passes before Samuel, and the Lord speaks. This is the one. Despite the optics, despite the image, David is God's sovereign choice 
this young, ruddy child of Jesse will be king. Now, there's nothing in this text that reveals David's thoughts about his divine appointment. David is given no voice by the narrator here. He's given no voice by the writer. But I would suggest that it is safe to assume that David would have been just as astonished, just as surprised as his father Jesse would have been, as his brothers would have been, as Samuel was, that it's this one who has been raised up This one who has been chosen as the next king. David does not fit the image. David was not the top of the birth order ticket. There is nothing David has done, nor is there anything David presents by way of an outward persona that qualifies him for this office. And yet God, as God often does, surprises us. Chooses the unlikely. Chooses you. Chooses me as beloved sons and daughters of the living God. This way of surprising us that is made manifest in God's sovereign choices reaches its climax, reaches its pinnacle in the plan to save the world. God surprises the world by who God chooses to to be the Savior. A child born to an unwed mother A refugee, someone who will be homeless, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, says Jesus. A person from the marginal community of the time, under the thumb of the Roman Empire, a Jew, a rabbi, this Jesus Is the choice of God to be the Savior of the world. The optics of God's sovereign choice make very little sense in an image is everything story. For as the writer for Samuel puts it so plainly, human beings pay attention to the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You know, the Hebrew word for heart here is not just about the muscle that pumps the blood that makes us live, the heart is, is a word to describe the very essence, the very core of someone's existence. Their soul, if you will. And etched on the heart of every human being, etched on the heart of every human being, is a declaration that says, this creation is made in the image of God. The very essence, at the very heart of who we are, lies this phrase, Made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, the Lord created them. Male and female, God created them. This notion of the image of God is one of the founding theological principles of the Christian faith. In fact, the early church fathers and mothers created an ethic born out of this theology that, that elevated the dignity of the human being above all others, saying that, that, that human beings are, are, are the pinnacle of the, of the creation story because only they have been declared to bear the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And so we kind of flip the script on its head, don't we? Because theologically speaking, image is, in fact, everything. 
But in a different way than the world tells the story. It's not the image we present, the imposter who, who longs to be loved and accepted and deemed worthy. It's not the image we compose to compensate for our feelings of inadequacy. It's not the image that we promote to hide our sense of, of emptiness or lack of meaning. Rather, it is the image of God. It is the essence of our nature. It is the very image that marks us for election, for chosenness, for worth, for value, for love, and a call to participate in God's mission. In the good news story of God, image is everything. Image is everything. So the question is, what image will we bear in the world? We have this image that, that God has written and etched on our hearts. Will we bear that image or will we continue to bear the image of the imposter, which is not authentic, which is, which is not real, which is created by our own hands, not the hand of God? And will we reflect God's glory back to God in worship and in praise? Would we honor that image in us by seeing the image in others, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of employment, in this church, in and for the world? Image is everything. It is. But will it be the image of an imposter that we live? Or will it be the very image of God. May we choose that image for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, Amen. Will the story be the story of an imposter or the story of the image of God? May we steward that image and bear witness to it, giving praise to God for God's creative power and love and freedom. And may we bear witness to the to that image in and for the world in this mission that God has inaugurated in and as the person of Jesus Christ, a mission of the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation of the world. And as we go forward now into that world, may Christ's peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Him. May His peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life.